welcome to Talking Point with me, Mike Johnson, and today my special guest is Pastor James Shepley. James, welcome to Talking Point. Mike, lovely to be here with you. Yes, you're you're a minister in the Seventh Day Adventist Church. You have in fact, you have two churches. Tell us about those two churches and um, what 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 are you doing in those cities that you serve? I'm blessed to have two churches in the west of England. So I um, live in Cheltenham, where I have a, a church here, and um, commute very often down to Swindon. I have another church there. They're about 40 miles apart, so mm -hmm. that keeps me driving up and down the A417. <laughs> and um, are they engaged in any particular projects in, 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 the, in the location that they're at? They're a slightly different size mm -hmm. and, and location, so Cheltenham's a little bit smaller. Um, we're about, typical attendance would be about between 40 and 60 mm -hmm. on a Sabbath. Mm. Uh, Swindon's um, always 100 to 140 uh, in a building which only seats 90 people. <laughs> so we're kind of, um, yeah, try, looking for a bigger building right mm. now. So with, with that number of, of people, um, and you're the only pastor, you don't have an assistant pastor. How does the church run smoothly? What do you do to make the, those churches run smoothly and to take the weight off your shoulders? You know, um, anybody I think who's involved in ministry for a while um, realizes that the church is driven by um, keen, enthusiastic, committed members. And I'm blessed that that is the case in, in both Swindon and Cheltenham. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was driving down here today um, on the A40, and um, one of the things that did strike me as I was driving, the beautiful countryside, it's amazing, the, the countryside over here, uh, but I actually passed Windrush. <laughs> and um, Windrush has been in the news quite a lot recently. Um, any connection? Was the boat named after Windrush in Oxfordshire, do you know? <laughs> you know, I don't know for a fact, but I'm assuming, I'm assuming it was. There's a, a beautiful ri river Windrush, yes. uh, which runs through the Cotswolds mm -hmm. here. And it's a tiny little river. So, you know, you wouldn't have imagined it would create such a big stir <laughs> so many years later. Oh dear, it's amazing. I thought I should have taken a photo, but traffic was behind me, so I couldn't have stopped. <laughs> um, so. You joined, you came into ministry um, in what, 2014, I believe it was. Um, what, what prompted you um, to become a, a minister of, of the gospel? That's a really big question. So, well, <laughs> we've got time, we've got time. <laughs> you know, um, I wasn't always a Seventh-day Adventist mm -hmm. um, church member. In fact, I was brought up an Anglican in, here in the UK mm -hmm. uh, many years ago uh, and still enjoy going along to Anglican churches when I get the opportunity, enjoy the music there. Um, but um, when I left the UK, I went to Belgium. And in Belgium, I met um, my girlfriend, now my mm -hmm. wife, mm -hmm. and Portuguese um, lady, Alia, mm -hmm. uh, from a Seventh-day Adventist family. Does she make those wonderful tarts? Yes. <laughs> You've got it. <laughs> Maybe you'll get one tomorrow. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> the almond tarts. Yeah. Yeah. I was in Portugal, my wife and I, and some family was in Lisbon. Uh -huh. And, oh man, we had those tarts. They were amazing. Yeah, my dad says that the Portuguese... Uh, uh, 
uh, cakes are the best in the world, and I think I agree. Any listener, if you're going to Portugal, you must indulge. Pastéis de nata, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> nice and warm, and ooh, like, uh, let's stop talking about the food. Uh, so yes, you were saying you met your wife's Portuguese. So mm-hmm. she took me along to a Seventh Day Adventist church. Mm-hmm. Never been to one, never heard of the church, mm-hmm. um, but, but having grown up in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of electrified by the preaching I heard there. Mm-hmm. There was a retired Belgian minister. He had been um, the professor uh, at Collange, uh, the seminary in France for a number of years. And so he was retired. Good thing about being retired um, as, an, uh, as a minister is you get to stay in the same church Sabbath after Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And so they let him preach. <laughs> <laughs> and he like kind of preached a continual series. Yes. Uh, you know, he'd do 20 sermons on the Sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. in a row. And I'd never heard stuff like that. And, you know, it was expository mm-hmm. um, preaching. Yes. It was great. And, uh, you know, you, you, I, I read in, in, in an earlier article that you said when you met your fiance and discovered she was an Adventist, and she mentioned about her creationist beliefs. You were in the opposite camp, weren't you, to the creationists? Uh, totally, Mike. Well, first of all, I really wasn't sure that God existed. Even though I had um, been brought up as an Anglican, I went through a period, a university period, where I kind of rejected all of that. Mm. And I started to think, well, God doesn't exist. You know, this, um, um, yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, Elia was taking me to a church and talking about creation. And I, um, I was listening to the sermons, enjoyed the, enjoyed the sermon, started to identify with the mission that the pastor had, which in a sense was to reclaim the honor of God. Mm. I think that's what he was trying to do. You know? mm-hmm. If suffering exists, you can't finger God. You know? it, it, um, natural disasters, those are not God's responsibility. You know? they're, they're not acts of God, if yes, you will. Yes. Um, but the creation thing was a big line for me to cross. Because, you know, I was schooled, as everybody is in the UK, believing that evolution is done and dusted. It's fact. And so when she started to say, you know, well, I'm a creationist, you know, no, the world, um, it, it, God spoke and it was so, I, I started to say, um, well, <laughs> please don't say this, you know, to our friends. <laughs> because in my mind, yes. you know, they were just going to make fun of her. Right. And I didn't think that she deserved that. So why didn't you just say, you know, um, darling, I love you, but um, I don't believe in, in this, this, this short creation story. So I think we may, we may as well just part now. Well, you know, there were, there were moments when those two worldviews were in collision and mm. there was, was tension. You know, I'm not saying that there were sparks flying mm, exactly, mm, mm, mm. but there's tension when, when you have such a different worldview uh, from someone that you love very, very dearly. But um, she was patient, and uh, her brother is, a, is a, kind of, he has a, a scientific background, um, and he was somebody who would read everything. Mm. He has a big library uh, of um, books on creation and evolution and so on. So every time I would be going 
to his house or maybe a house of another Seventh-day Adventist uh, that I'd be meeting, I would discover things on their shelves I'd never come across. Okay, so your intrigue was piqued. Yeah, so I, and, you know, I always gravitate, you know, I'm one of these people who gravitates to uh, the bookshelves in somebody's house uh, 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 just to see what they're reading, mm, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's novels or, or whatever, you know, <laughs> and, and I always leaf through them when, right. uh, when, when people turn their back and they're not looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You mentioned that you were brought up as an Anglican. Yeah. Um, and I believe uh, Darwin was also trained to be an Anglican. He was trained to be an Anglican priest. And he left the church around mid-20s or 23, something, something along those lines. Um, and then he suffered a loss. He lost his sister. And it's as if then those two things just said, right, you know, God can't be around. It's got to be some, something else to you know, how life evolved and so on. Um, and then he developed his, his, his theory of, of evolution. You took that because you said that's all you knew, that's all you were taught. And it's interesting also that in 2014, I think it is, the government outlawed, if that's the right word, <laughs> uh, the teaching of creationism um, in our schools as a scientific, so in science lessons and so on. So I'm just wondering if, if, that's, if that's the only view now that current students are being told they won't be knowing what else is out there, is there? How do we, how do we ensure that people do get a balanced picture and can make an informed decision? Mike, I think you raise a really significant question because the issue is, if that's all that you ever heard, mm. then clearly that's what you're going to think. Yes. So the idea of an intelligent design or intelligent designer doesn't even figure. But I think that's unfair, mm-hmm. because if you look at um, the universe that we that we observe, you know, from um, um, uh, from astronomy down to microbiology, um, uh, you're looking at something which is phenomenally well put together, a design. Absolutely. And if you read the biology textbooks, they very often will talk about um, this has the appearance of design. And sure enough, it has the appearance of design. But my thinking on this is, you know, if it if it looks like the duck and, <laughs> and, and quacks like a duck, maybe yeah. it is a duck. Maybe it's a duck. And we need kind of not to um, exclude at least the design hypothesis from the classroom. And I'm not only talking about religious studies, because intelligent design is talked about and it's discussed mm-hmm. as a theory, but I'm also talking about science classes. Maybe uh, in science classes, secondary school and elsewhere, people need to look that in the face and say, you know, um, regardless of what implications this has, philosophically Mm -hmm. or theologically, we need to look at the evidence. Is it more likely that we emerged through random chance alone or was there an intelligence um, Mm. behind that? And that has huge implications Mm. uh, for, for... for how we think about ourselves. Society is so keen nowadays to be neutral and not to offend one side or the other. Why can't they just say God instead of design, intelligent design? (laughs) Because really that's the only alternative, isn't there? Are they afraid to say God because they don't believe in God themselves? Or what's, what's your take on that? I think they're looking at the problem from a different end of the telescope, Mm. Mike. 
I think that you know for those people brought up Christian um, then they know what Genesis says mm-hmm. yeah. you know and God said and it and it was so and God um, God said let there be light and there was light and they understand that background but many people perhaps increasing numbers of people don't come from that Christian background mm. and so the, the, they're not going to Genesis as the first port of call right when they're developing their worldview they're looking at the science textbooks what they hear in the classroom and so on and so if you like genesis has been relegated to a fairy tale in the minds of many people and i was one of those people but if somebody comes to you and says hang on a second let's um suspend that for a moment and let's think about what we see when we head out into the Cotswolds mm-hmm. and we're going to see bluebells in the bluebell woods and we're going to um, um, see uh, birds flying and we're going to think about the aerodynamics of the bird in flight you know or we're, uh, we're going to think about the genetics of um, of um, the animals that we see and observe and then you say now doesn't it stand to reason that this is so well put together then there must be an intelligence behind it. Mm. Now, you ask that question to someone who is an atheist or maybe hasn't thought about it, an agnostic, um, that person may for a pause for a second and say, you know what? Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. And it's, it's kind of neutral. That is neutral as a proposition. Theologically, it's neutral. But once you say that there's an intelligence you open the door to the possibility of god and i think the theory of evolution it if it admits the possibility of god at all it relegates god to a distant point far away billions of years ago at the start of the universe who's Mm -hmm. kind of lost interest Mm -hmm. and i think that that is what is killing um faith in our secular societies so we are not prepared to um, look at another line of argument to the person who doesn't believe like you say consider do you think it's a possibility I like that I like that that thought Um, letting them think for them rather than me saying look God said God did and it was you don't believe in God. You, what, what does that do? What does that do for you? That doesn't prove anything. Whereas if I appeal to your logic, so to speak, you can say, well, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's that's unlikely to be random. You know, look at the look at the, um, the universe, the planets, and how they are displayed and held together. No strings here. And exactly. Is that random? <laughs> you know, there, there, there was... Um um, an English clergyman, um, William Paley, and his famous argument was, um, if there is a what, uh, if, if there is a watch, there is a watchmaker, mm-hmm. and he used that to illustrate how there must have been a watchmaker that designed everything that we see, and that argument of Paley, I think, still holds good even today but we have to kind of bring it back and recognize that the watch that Paley would have visualized or even 
uh, scientists at the beginning of the, 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 the 20th century would have visualised is much, much more precise and complicated than ever we'd understood. Mm. Much better put together. And that's increasingly um, apparent uh, with the advance of sci science in the areas like genetics and, mm. and microbiology and so on. When they see that and they realise that, you know what, <laughs> there's a watch much better made than we ever understood, mm. ever conceived of. There has to be a watchmaker. And with the advancements in science and DNA mapping and the genome project, isn't that now <laughs> confirming that there must have been some kind of, for such intricate building blocks to be put together? Totally. And, uh, you know, even um, renowned atheists have changed their mind. Mm. Uh, Anthony Flew, re very renowned atheist, um, wrote a book and on the cover it says there is no God with the no crossed out. Mm. Because the weight of evidence from areas such as genetics um, proved to him that there had to be a designer. Mm. Now, if that's just at the level of pure reason, then <laughs> reasonable people uh, reasonable faith is a proposition that mm. we need to put out to people mm. and then they need to consider it for themselves. So when, when you were um, on the other scale and um, believing in, in the evolution um, theory and you came to faith, did your faith, um, how did what you knew before, believe before, how did that impact your, your faith when you discovered God, you discovered that he was the one, that great watchmaker, to use that phrase. How did that play with you? Uh, did that make you more determined that, yeah, this is, this is the right path? I mean, believed one thing before, now I've seen the light, I'm in the right space. Well, first I, I think I needed to wrestle with that. Okay. And I wrestled with it more, um, perhaps, than other people would, because you know, there were such two such divergent views. Mm, mm. And they're not only divergent from a scientific point of view, but they're divergent also in terms of their implications. The question of ethics, question of intelligence, where does that come from? The question of future, uh, the question of what is the nature of man? Big issues and implications for the, the, the um, these two different propositions, evolution versus, versus creation. Mm -hmm. But then looking at the science and realizing that, you know, plenty of people had had looked at this and um, their arguments seemed to be really <laughs> very logical. Um, then I was kind of tilting in the other direction. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure that you ever come to faith by reason alone. Mm, no. I don't think so. I think it's experiential as well. It's about an encounter with God. I, that's perhaps what really makes the difference. But the, uh, the reason aspect of that for me was very important mm. too. And I guess, yes, um, even those of us who are born in the faith, there has to come a time when we have, through experience, said, yes, yes, this is, this is what I, I want, this is what I believe. You've, you've gone to church because your parents have gone to church, but there comes a time when you have to say, yeah, mm, this is for me. This is the right place to be.
And I was, I was just thinking back when you were talking about um, we've been brought up knowing only evolution. Bible-believing Christian, they, they, they stick with the faith of what they believe. So it's not unreasonable for, for someone like yourself who didn't know to, to think this is all there is. And, and so the Christian is doing the same thing. This is all I know. Why do I need to go out there and dig deeper to see if what I believe in is true? As, as a Christian, as a church person, as a pastor, isn't our number one goal to present the alternative hope that is Jesus Christ? Yes. Mm. And if we think about it, um, you know, in a material sense, mm. if all we are is atoms mm -hmm. of dust, mm -hmm. in the end, we're all worm food. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe the... the, 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 the the older you get, mm -hmm. the more apparent that is. You know, I'm in, in nearly approaching fifty, but my my um, my parents um, are at that. My mum died a year and year and a half ago, but my father's kind of mid seventies and started to talk about how a year or two ago. All of their generation, their, co their cohort, the people that they grew up mm -hmm. with, they hang around with, they started to die. And, you know, all of a sudden they're spending a lot more time in funerals and at wakes and yes, things like that than yes. ever they'd conceived. Mm -hmm. And it hadn't happened until then, just one, two years ago. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden it's happening mm -hmm. all the time. And you realize we're going through life, you know, and there's a salami slicer. <laughs> and you're getting closer and closer to the blade and mm, the salami's mm, being pushed mm, along. Mm, mm. And if there is nothing else, then that's not a good prospect. Mm. But if there is something else, and Jesus said, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who believes in, the, uh, uh, in me... Mm -hmm. um, will never die. Yeah. Will never die. Mm, mm. Those kind of things, mm. they're so precious. Mm. They transform not just your your perspective on the future but mm. your perspective on the here and now mm, absolutely and you know i was i was looking again at um this this article that um you, you wrote and you you talked about some fundamental questions um he says what i started to understand even though i was not yet a christian was that the theory of evolution was not easily compatible with a christian worldview it raised lots of fundamental questions Mm, can we go through some of those questions? What did man, when did man become man? <laughs> yes. When did he acquire a soul? When did death emerge? Can we put back together after death? We be put back together after death? If so, how? What is the point of salvation if there was never a fall? My word, James, you were asking some serious questions here. Um, what was the cross? Four. Did you ever come up with any answers to, to any of these these life-changing questions? Well, those questions kind of don't even make sense in an evolutionary worldview. Mm -hmm. And that was the problem, that you're trying to marry two things that don't fit. Yes. A, a, a Bible-believing Christian and theistic evolution, 
they, they, they're like two pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, mm. if you will, that mm-hmm. don't quite fit. Mm. And while I think many Christians, if not most Christians, just accepted that science had moved on, that the theory of evolution was fact, and therefore we accept it, but God is still out there, that actually leaves these fundamental questions unanswered. Mm. And I think what happened is is that Christians, they just kind of put down their weapons and said, we give up, <laughs> waved the white, white flag and said, okay, theory of evolution, mm-hmm. we're going to have to live with it. Mm. But now the guys from Intelligent Design and the Discovery Center and others come along and genet- the rise of genetics mm. and, and so on. And they start to say, you know what? Actually, <laughs> there are some fundamental holes in the theory of evolution. What you took as fact, some of this was wool being pulled over mm. people's eyes. Some of it were, was, was data which was being extrapolated to the nth degree. And some of it was slippery um, language. So, you know, um, you, start, you talk about evolution um, of Darwin's famous finches, the, the beaks. Mm-hmm. In the Galapagos you find yes. different... Um, uh, finch beak size from island to island and you say ah well therefore <laughs> but if you extrapolate it to the to, to the nth degree mm-hmm. and you end up with the, 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 the molecules to man theory you know Jonathan Safari I think I said in my article he, he puts it like this you know um, goo became you <laughs> via the zoo that theory that's extrapolating the observable data to a ridiculous degree. Mm. And that's actually not what we observe. That's a theory. So there might be something called, then there is, microevolution or adaptation. But you're not changing body plans or uh, the genetics of the body plan mm-hmm. in order to change the beaks on the finches. Yes, yes. Uh, those are two different um, orders of change which are taking, a pla- taking place there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good stuff, though. Isn't it, it, it is. It is, and I mean, yeah, I'm thinking because and, and people who don't even believe in God, you, they, they do say, um, "I do believe there is some kind of intelligence, yes, behind it all." Um, what what makes them want to believe there is some kind of intelligence? When even what they what is being taught is a theory, because it isn't fact, is it? The theory of evolution is still relevant, isn't it? The name that's what it's still called, the theory. So it's not a fact. <laughs> and you've got to ask yourself the question: If it's not a fact but a theory, mm. why shouldn't you be able to examine alternative to, theories right. in the science classroom? Mm. But you can't examine faith, can you? <laughs> you can't examine. Um, earlier on you said that yeah, you can go out and you look at the, the nature around you that is that is fact um, but yes how can you prove that, that God did this this intelligent design did this all we can really say then is there has to be the possibility Oh, I think you can go I think you can go further than okay, that okay let's go further and I think you can say you know um, by analogy, do you see anything else um, uh, which is well put together that hasn't been put together with intelligence? Uh, 
something which was information rich, which which didn't have information as as its cause. Mm. And if if it's well put together, and back to the Paley argument, it has to have had a des- a design, and a design imp- necessarily implies a designer. It doesn't tell you what the designer is like. Designer could have been, and some people hypothesised, you know, aliens who seeded the planet and then vanished, you know, in their mm-hmm. in their fast spacecraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but it does tell you that there's an intelligence, because the Bible is approaching that same problem from a different perspective. It claims to be the Word of God. It claims to be, you know, God's self-revelation to mankind. Mm-hmm. But if you have um, the evidence out there which says, well, there's an intelligence, and if you have something else like a, um, the, the Bible which comes in and says, yes, I exist, <laughs> then mm. you've got to start to take the pla- claims of the Bible more seriously and look at that. That's a different question, mm. but it's, it's, it's a starter, isn't it? I'm intrigued by Revelation 14, 6 through 10. The three angels' messages, as it's referred to, where the first angel says, worship the one who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that it is in it and so on. And the third angel gives you a warning. Look, if you worship the beast or his image, you're in serious trouble. And it seems to me that... Um, and with what we talked about in 2014, where they banned <laughs> discussing uh, creationism in, in, in uh, science lessons and so on, it seems to me that the enemy of Christ is doing as much as he can to keep the Creator out of the psyche. <laughs> it's all this way, guys. It's not that one. Um, what do you, what do you, what's your what's your take on that? Because there's a battle going on for 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 souls, for minds. And uh, if Christ has been shut in a box, or God has been shut in a box, people are just gonna have one one knowledge. It's like a totalitarian state, isn't it? Yes, that's exactly right. And, and if you think, um, well, it's not that long ago since the, the fall of communism, mm. and you think about the Soviet Union we think about a place like Albania, you know, where um, God was outlawed. Mm. You know, we we have the blessing that we're not there in in the United Kingdom. You know, we we can discuss um, faith and so on, but there are probably people who who would be out there pushing an atheist agenda, uh, and would be quite happy to eliminate God from every. Uh, part of, of society but if you see that in a, a, a cosmic cosmic view mm. that kind of great controversy view then sure that's what you're seeing you're seeing a, a battle for hearts and minds about the identity the existence of God first of all the identity if God exists what's he like uh, should we follow him <laughs> or be terrorized mm, by him mm, etc mm. all of those big questions yeah. got to be out there yeah yeah so I don't know I'm going to I'm going to put you in the hot seat again, James. Um, what is our role then? How do we break through this this uh, barrier that has been put up? Uh, because yes, even though 
God may be outlawed, they are still God always has other people that we may not know about doing a work, isn't it? When yeah. It, is Elijah, he says, I've got 7,000 or whatever it is, other prophets who've not bowed their, their, you know, their knee to Baal and so on. Yeah. Um, how do we as Christians today, Seventh-day Adventist Christians today, <clears throat> knowing the challenges we face in that more and more people just don't want to believe in God or have been told only one way, how can we at least get a wedge in to say, hey, think about this for a while, you know? Have you considered this, <laughs> you know? Ask, I think asking a question is a key way. What do you think? Because God said to, to Lucifer, have you, have you considered? Have my servant Job. My servant Job, you know? So, have you considered? Because <laughs> even, even Lucifer to Eve, did, did God really say? <laughs> so, I think putting some kind of a doubt in this creation, uh, in this evolution, might be a way of getting folks to start to think, oh, maybe there is something else here. I, I, that's absolutely right, because we, before you have any change, you've got to kind of question the paradigm, mm. haven't you? Before there's a paradigm shift, and maybe there will be a paradigm shift. Um, God willing, there will be a paradigm mm. shift. But first, you've got to question the model. Is there something else? Does it look like it? What are the patterns in, at every level of, of science? And if there, we see patterns, if we see intelligence, we must admit the possibility there's an intelligent designer. Mm. And if we admit the possibility, then we need to start exploring. Because mm. maybe if God exists, we're accountable to him. Yes. And that's back to your Revelation 14. Mm. You know, what are we here for? Yes. Because if I can't literally prove God, there is God. There he is, my friend. You don't believe me, but there he is. I can't do that. So how can we be more intelligent? Let's use that word. How can we be more intelligent in presenting the case for God? Or do we have to present the case for God? I don't know. What do you think? I think um, it, the, the more you get into this kind of thing, the more interesting it becomes. Mm. <laughs> um, the, one of the books that I read when I started out on, on, my, um, on my search was a book um, which was a scientific book and all, all kind of different scientists were contributing. Some were paleontologists looking at fossils. Some were um, astrophysicists looking at the stars. Some mm -hmm. were microbiologists like Michael Behe and so on. And all in their independent walks of walks of life and scientific endeavors were starting to come uh, to the conclusion that the theory of evolution had um, so many gaps in it, it was like a Swiss cheese. <laughs> and at the end of this particular book, Mere Creation, that's the name of it, um, they um, concluded that evolution, as a theory, was going to undergo imminent collapse. <laughs> Very interesting. Going to undergo imminent collapse. Em imminent collapse. It was going to collapse under the weight of evidence. Mm -hmm. And the question is, you know, when that collapses, what replaces it? except because evolution if you like at the moment is is, is this catch-all we don't need to think about god because it's how we evolved 
<laughs> there wasn't any intelligence mm. anyway. There is no ethics. There is, <laughs> uh, but if evolution, the balance of probability against evolution increases, increases until it becomes untenable as a theory, then you're going to have to say, well, what's the alternative? Mm. <laughs> Who is he? Can you know him? Am I accountable to him? Mm. What's he expecting of me? What does, you know, we return to some of those key theological questions which as Adventists we've always been asking and, um, uh, and presenting some, some answers to. So, that's an interesting thought that if evolution collapses and there's only one other alternative, if people believe the, 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 the other alternative, it wouldn't have been a, not that they were coerced into believing him, so to speak, but mm, they, haven't, they haven't made that choice, have they, <laughs> out of they, their they own. Haven't, they haven't had to make a choice. That's right. It's been, it's been kind of fostered upon them, you know. Yeah. They didn't know there was an alternative mm. point, point of view and that there were brilliant minds and scientists mm. who actually uh, are putting forward that alternative view. And this is why I keep coming back to, you know, in every sense, how do we put, how do we get that alternative point of view um, to those that we meet in daily life? When I first came across this, it was probably the, the late 90s. I bought this book, Mere Creation. And I thought it was such an important book. I bought half a dozen copies and I, and I mailed it to all of my friends. <laughs> I said, read this, <laughs> because it kind of implied such a significant paradigm. Right. Some of that is what we have to do. Mm. If we're change agents, then, then we have to see what is credible and share it with those um, who we think would benefit from it. Mm. So we could we could invest in books, or yeah. pamphlets, or whatever it is that answers the questions in a way that we would want to, and share that with those that we know who are seeking or who firmly believe opposite to what we believe. Okay, what else can we do to? There are lots of websites yeah. out there nowadays. Um, there is Creation Ministries International. Mm -hmm. That takes a very biblical approach to looking at creation, and, and they do a lot of good work in that field. There are organizations like um, the UK Centre for Intelligent Design, which doesn't take a biblical perspective, it's just looking at the raw data in terms of science, but is providing convincing evidence for the existence of intelligence and intelligent mind. And there are all kind of um, those resources which are out there which we can share with our friends and, and contribute to that wider debate, which will make people sit up and think at least about those big questions. Mm. And certainly there is ourselves in terms of showing Christ to others um, by showing the impact he's had in our lives, right? Um, as opposed to just theologically or theoretically doing a study, we can say, well, this is my testimony. This is my story. This is what God did for me. Because they can see us, they know us, they understand us, they love us. And if they can see, well, aha, I've seen a change in Mike over, the, over a period of time. And he's, 
Yeah, Mike's more cuddly than he used yeah, to be. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I give him his nine cuddles that he needs every day. <laughs> you know, because if I quote the Bible to someone who doesn't believe the Bible, I might as well be saying the dandy says, or Beano says. Oh, you like the dandy and the Beano. <laughs> oh, I grew up on those things. <laughs> Showing my age now. <laughs> those are comics, by the way. <laughs> so, so they were they were out there. I mean, they died away a lot of these things now. DC has taken over and, and all those sort of things. But yeah, so we, we've got to find a way that people can relate to us and to share our hope, to share our faith in a way that is believable to them because we are people of sight. Let's not forget that. We like to see the evidence. Yeah. James, it's been fascinating talking to you. I want to thank you so much for your time here on Talking Point and I... I hope that, listener, you've been encouraged by this. And by all means, if you've got a question after hearing this, we'd love to hear from you. Just write to info at adventistradio.london or you can text us. Start your text with the word hope, your message, and send it to 8228. This has been Mike Johnson and my special guest, James Shepley, uh, on Talking Point. We look forward to being with you again next time. God bless.
some things that I may not know yet. Sometimes it heals a heart, a heart to climb, yeah. But I know, I know, I know someone who has the plan. I, I, I know where. 